Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first in a short series of podcasts where we will explore how and why technology companies may want to work with the federal government, including where the government is spending, how they go about engaging with the government, and how to navigate related compliance matters. My name is Michael Valerio, and I'm the practice leader for Cherry Beckert's Technology Industry Group. Joining me today is Craig Hunter, a partner in our government contracting group. Welcome, Craig. Hello, thank you, Michael, and glad to be here. And also to share a little about my experience in working with technologies companies as they work with the federal government. Awesome. So, Craig, let's let's jump in here. As I mentioned, this is the first in a series of podcasts that we're going to do, focusing on the opportunities that technology companies may have as government contractors. Today, we're going to look at a broad look at how or even why technology companies may want to consider this. Future episodes will dive into some of the details and nuances a bit further. So let's say I have a tech company with a product or service that I believe the government may wish to purchase. First, can I? And secondly, why would I ever want to work with the federal government, Craig? Well, good. So firstly, yes, you absolutely can. And secondly, you know, contracting with the U.S. federal government, you know, it's the world's biggest customer. It's really unlike working with any other client. You know, the recent budget was $4.7 trillion. So folks out there looking to get a piece of that, that opportunity is definitely out there. You know, the, the U.S. government really pays contractors hundreds of millions and billions of dollars each year. So once a company is able to navigate their way into the market, it can be a highly lucrative and reliable revenue stream. And, and another thing is that, you know, the government, the government pays and pays well. So often commercial companies will deal with um, accounts receivable that, that they have some risk to them, but the government, um, they pay on time and, um, and all the time. So you, with, with technology companies in particular, you know, for fiscal year 22, the White House has requested an IT budget of 100, almost $110 billion, which is the highest ever which includes almost 60 billion for civilian programs, 38.6 for defense, uh, unclassified programs, and almost 12 billion for, for classified programs. So the areas that they're focusing on, which is important for technology companies, right? So securing data and systems, delivering citizen services, and really furthering the vision of a digital government. So current focuses within that within that um, budget are really modernizing legacy systems. And as you can imagine, the, the, the agencies have just so many systems out there. So that, that's a huge, huge task. And also migrating to the commercial cloud um, and, shared, and, and in, increasing the shared services there. So tremendous amount of opportunities specifically for technology companies. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I mean, that's a lot of money to go after and a good time for tech companies to start working with them. So so how does the government make, you know, acquisitions of goods and services? How do you work with them? So the government really makes purchases in three different levels of, of procurement, which is the term that they use. Um, and each of those levels is really classified by way of how they're valued monetarily. So the first one, you get a micro purchase, which is really a, a value of $2,500 for a service or $10,000 for goods. So for these purchases, no competition is required. Um, secondly, you get a simplified acquisition, which are procurements made in a simplified environment, which means agencies and the government need not use a formal evaluation plan or score offers as these uh, competing amounts and, and bids come in. 
the threshold for a simplified acquisition is really capped at $250,000. So obviously some significant work um, and opportunity that can come within that range. And thirdly, is anything above the $250,000 is a, is a regular procurement. And, we, and at that point, the government follows their competitive procurement process in accordance with the FAR. Uh, so the government establishes the laws and extensive web of contracting regulations uh, and this is known as the Federal Acquisition Regulation uh, and operates the courts really that decide disputes. So it's a, a labyrinth of regulation and bureaucracy that can be very daunting for, for, for companies and uh, you know, tech companies included. Uh, but the unique that the opportunity that comes out of that is, is certainly unique. And you know, when you look at companies and those that I've worked with, dealing with a FAR is absolutely and certainly where many companies stop in the pursuit of government workers, as this can just be such a tremendous barrier that people just don't want to to explore. But you know, there's resources out there that can help you navigate around and through these challenges. And honestly, it's something at Cherry Record that we do each and every day. I've also heard that there's some advantages, Craig, to, you know, whether you're a small company um, to, to, to contract with them versus the large ones or or minority uh, based, uh, you know, owned businesses. Uh, you know, is that true? Absolutely. So small businesses really have a distinct advantage when, you know, looking and seeking government contracts. The federal government provides many resources and programs for these small businesses, and most agency have small business um, programs and offices. Uh, they really try to maximize the opportunity for small businesses in, in acquisition. So many contracts may specify that small businesses must do a certain amount of work or, or otherwise they're actually set aside entirely for, for small businesses. You know, the, the SBA, the Small Business Administration, offers a number of, number of programs to help small businesses win some of these contracts. So examples of these, um, I'm just going to run through five right now. Um, are firstly, the woman-owned small business, where the government aims to award at least 5% of the total federal, federal contracting dollars to, to these companies. Uh, second one is service-disabled veteran-owned businesses, where the government targets to, to award 3% of federal contracting dollars to these uh, service-disabled um, companies. Uh, the 8A certified business, the government will will push at least 5% of federal contracting dollars to these qualified small disadvantaged businesses um, each and every year. So there's a tremendous amount of, of, of the budget going to, to these small businesses. The, the next one is the hub zone, which is hub zone means historically underutilized business zone. Um, and here again, 3% of federal dollars are pushed to, to those those types of businesses. So what one thing about the hub zone, it's it's an interesting program because it's the only program really not focused on ownership of the business as the other you know programs I mentioned earlier are, but rather the location of the business and its employees. Um, so that really that's helpful. And there the government is trying to work on on these areas that have not had a lot of development in the past by, by promoting business there. And there's, there's certainly some ability to get those contracts if you're in those regions. Uh, the, the government also sponsors what they call the Small Business Mentor Protégé Program, where small businesses can get tremendous insight and, and business development help from experienced um, large government contractors. So really, there's a tremendous amount of support and, um, and help from the government uh, in terms of resources as well as those dollars that they really targeted for these programs 
for people that that qualify. So small businesses absolutely get a, a, an advantage in working with the government. Hmm. Uh, that does sound like a great opportunity for small businesses. Um, I've also heard of instances, instances where the government has provided assistance to help develop technologies. Can you expand on that at all? Indeed, I can. So, you know, there's, there's, there was no such thing as free money, right? But in this case, it may be as free as you're going to get. So in the, in the spirit of fostering innovation and development of, of government-sponsored programs, the SBIR and STTR programs, which is the Small Business Innovation Research, SBIR, and the Small Business Technology Transfer, STTR programs, uh, were, were put together. So these are competitive programs that really encourage domestic small businesses to engage in federal research and development with the potential for commercialization. So it's it's a competitive program and these two, you know, program enables businesses to explore their technological potential and provide incentive to profit from ultimate commercialization of, of their products as it as they develop them. So the 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 R and D arena, high tech innovation um, is, is is what the government is trying to stimulate here. And they currently have funded topics out there on, on the website. And um, for example, right now there's 30 pages of these programs available. And the first on the on the first page are the, are the following here: advanced analytics, data mining, decision modeling, decision uh, modeling, pardon, descriptive modeling, um, predictive analytics, optimization, simulation. Um, so a lot of high-tech areas that that a lot of companies are, are dealing with right now. So the SBIR has three phases. Phase one is to establish the technical merit and feasibility of the other R&D effort. Um, awards under this program are between fifty and $250,000 for a period of six months. Phase two is to continue this effort as initiated in phase one. Um, and, and funding on phase two is really a function and based on the results achieved in, in phase one. So if things are moving well and the government thinks that um, you, you're, you're heading in the right direction with the R&D effort, you could get a phase two award. Phase two awards are up to $750,000 and that's for a period of two years. So if you think about it, between phase one and phase two, you can get a million dollars to, um, to fund an R&D effort. Phase three is is really the phase. It's not so much funded by the government, but if if well, the result of phase one and two give the government something they want, it may result in contracts with the government, and um, and those follow-on awards is um, and processes would be purchased by the government at that point. So it, definitely, to your point, Michael, there's a lot of uh, option to to get some of this funding and the government really pays for it. The government does not control any of the IP, but they just have the ability to to review it as part of, um, you know, uh, seeing how you've done on both phase one and, and phase two. So the companies own the IP and, and the the result of that, um, that R&D effort that the government has paid for. So as a provider to the government, do I need to work directly with them, Craig? You can work directly with them in, in the Gov, GovCon speak. That's when you would be a prime contractor, or you can work um, as a subcontractor, which is a contractor that works for a prime. So, so there's ways in which you can, um, you know, work with the government or ultimately with the government, but you may not have to work directly with them. 
know, some contracts actually require large companies to subcontract a small, two small businesses, as you mentioned before, um, which creates opportunities. Uh, in this situation like that, the large businesses would often pick up the lion's share of um, of all the uh, contract maintenance and the um, the work that goes through uh, monitoring and enforcing compliance um, with, with the federal acquisition regulation. Um, and it's just a bit easier with the, with the subcontractors. Uh, another possibility is entering into a joint venture where you may not be the managing venture, but you're still party to this organization that is doing work for the federal government. Um, so there's different ways in which you can do it. Uh, joining as part of a subcontractor, you may, um, you know, build relationships with the, with the large companies, with other companies, um, and, and those relationships would um, potentially you know, see you well for, for some time to come. Because the government contracting space is an interesting industry that you may subcontract with a company in one contract and you, you may compete against them in, in another one. So it's a, it's a very interesting environment, very different to the, to the commercial space. Well, Craig, thank you so much for the insight given today. I hope our listeners learned a few new things and, and maybe had some interest in potentially selling to the government and whether that's keep it uh, and if it makes sense for the company. Uh, Craig, can you tell us how to best get in touch with you if our lis listeners are uh, interested in learning more? Absolutely, Michael. So you can always visit cbh.com for more information. We got a page on, on government contracting there with a lot of um, a lot of links that may be useful. Or you can reach me directly at chunter at cbh.com. Um, and you know, while I got the mic again here up in the next series, we'll, we'll dive into the topic of really of capturing federal business uh, for your tech company. So really, stay tuned in for that. We look forward to talking there.